wanna welcome you guys, whether you're joining us in person or maybe you're watching online, honored to have you with us. And also wanna say a big hello to all the men and women joining us in our correctional ministry in one of the 400 prisons throughout our country, all those joining us in the country of Belize, in the Belize Central Prison. In fact, just this week, uh, Pastor Justina is leading a team of 16 women that threw a women's conference in the Belize Central Prison. Come on, somebody. We love you guys. We believe in you. And also want to say a big hello to all those at CCNO, the the Correction Center of Northwest Ohio, right here in our own backyard. And we just want you to know we count it a privilege and an honor, and we consider you a part of our church family. We love having you guys with us. We know God's got a word for you today. So come on, D-Town, and we welcome our church family today. Come on, let them know. We'll share more of those stories and pictures and videos from the women down in Belize. Uh, They've had an amazing week. But just to see that, just to have the ability to go into the prison and love on women is just a a huge privilege and and honor and just favor that God has given to us as a church. And uh, today we are in week number four of our You Asked For It series where we've been answering questions and covering topics that you have asked for. And and, uh, last week we answered the question, man, how do we live? as a Christian in today's culture, and this really is such a big question, uh, an important question for us, not only to ask, but to answer. In fact, with everything happening in our world today, I just decided, let me take two weeks to answer this question, and so if you didn't get a chance to be here with us last week, you can always go online and watch past messages uh, that you've missed, but uh, just a reminder today in this part two installment of answering this question. How do we live as a Christian in today's culture? I do want to remind us, today is a PG-13 message, and so we'll just uh, encourage parents to take advantage of our amazing kids' ministry from birth all the way to fifth grade, where we have a special service that is geared just for them to speak to them at their level. They can learn the truth of God's word. They can jump around in some bounce houses, and they can have an awesome service. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of that, not just today, but every Sunday. Uh, but then, and if you're sixth grade or you're up, if you're in middle school or up, I want to encourage you to, to lean in. And listen up as we talk about sex and sexuality today. And there might be some uh, awkward laughter in the room today. There might be some quiet moments uh, where you're not sure what to do as we talk about something that needs to be talked about more in church because culture is trying to redefine what God has created and already established. And so I just want to go ahead and uh, encourage you to put your seat backs in their upright positions and stow your your tray tables and make sure that your seat belts are fastened because here we go. Let's start off in in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul's speaking here and he's saying, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. In other words, right out of the gate, Paul is telling us that our lives shouldn't start reflecting and looking like culture. And let me just say this, that culture is putting a lot of pressure on all of us today to follow their ways uh, in a lot of areas, not just in the area of sexuality. Paul goes on to say, instead, 
Fix your attention on God. Another translation says, allow God to change your mind, to change the way you think. And he goes, he goes, you'll be changed from the inside out. Then he goes, readily recognize what God wants from you and then quickly respond to it. Meaning, we might not feel it right away. We might not fully understand it right away, but as we quickly respond, eventually we'll realize, God, you know what you're talking about. God, you know what you were saying. God, your way is better than my way. Because how many of us know choices lead, feelings follow? Goes on to say, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. And let me just say, this always happens to us if we let it. We always will get dragged down to its level of immaturity if we allow it. And as we talk about this maybe difficult subject today, uh, I just want us to know as, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to argue about truth. We don't have to debate about truth because a wise man once said, the proof is in the pudding, if you're from the South, pudding, right? In other words, if we follow, if we follow our way and do our thing and not God's way and not God's thing, we always find ourselves in, the, in a mess. Anybody besides me discovered that to be true in your life? You did your own thing. You went your own way. Like the old song, you could go. Yeah, I'm not going to try and sing it today. It's going to get really bad if I start singing. You can go your own way, but anybody else discovered when you went your own way, you found yourself in a mess? Does that always happen? The proof is in the pudding. He goes on to say, though, that God brings the best out of you, including the area of sexuality. And let me just say this. There's a lot of misinformation out there in the world today that if we follow God's way in this area, that it's going to be boring, lifeless, not any fun. We're going to be missing out. But the truth is God brings the best out in us, and he develops well-formed maturity in us. And so today, I do want to talk to us about God's view or God's standard of sexuality, because I believe that we are in a sexual revolution right now in our culture, in our country, and this is not new. This has happened many times before in culture. In fact, history would, would show us and tell us that it happens about every 50 years where culture pushes things to the extremes. This happened in the 1960s. Many of us are, are familiar with that, the movie that came out not too long ago called The Jesus Revolution. Anybody familiar with that movie? Great movie, highly recommend it. But did you know at the same time the Jesus Revolution was happening in our country, there was a sexual revolution happening in our country as well. And so it's not new. It's happened in our culture many times. It happened in the Bible in the days of Noah at Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, even Jesus said there will be an entire generation that will cast off restraint sexually and they will marry whoever they want to marry and they will do what, whatever they want to do regardless of what God says. And of course, whenever that happens, destruction takes place. And right now in culture, there is a redefining of relationships. But just to remind us today, culture might change, but God never does. 
And, and, and I, know, I know a lot of pastors right now who are a little hesitant to, to talk about this, this subject and they're nervous about how people will respond. And so the church has kind of remained quiet in some regards, which I do not think is helpful. Uh, then on the other side of the pendulum, I know some pastors who have taken more an aggressive, dogmatic approach to this topic and told people they're going to hell. And, and I don't know that that's helpful either. Uh, the church I grew up in uh, wanted nothing to do with this topic. They did not talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to address it. We want nothing to do with it. And so all I heard about sex from the church growing up was don't think about it. Don't do it. Stop that right now. <laughs> and, then, and the way that sex was portrayed through church was that it's, it's ugly, it's bad, it's dirty. So save it for the one that you love in marriage, which was super confusing, by the way, like, at the same time, I think that the church has, um, has gone, gone into a habit in some regards of shaming people and making people feel bad by singling out a particular area of sexual sin while not even talking about all the other areas of sexual sin and leaving out the fact that we are all sinners saved by grace, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That's an important part of the story, by the way, right? But at the same time, how I know God has a standard. It's the truth of his word. The Bible is God's standard for how we live our lives, not just in the area of sexuality, but in every single area. That is the standard. And we understand that we all fall short of that standard. So what did God do? He sent his one and only son, King Jesus, to live a sinless life and die a sinner's death. And because he died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later, how I many we can be forgiven for when we do fall short, we can be forgiven and we can be set free. Then at the same time, we know we fall short of the standard. So what do we do? What did God do for us? He sent the, the, the comforter, right? The counselor, the blessed Holy Spirit to help us live the godly life that God has called us to live. That is the gospel, that we're all on this journey to become more and more like Jesus, that we would be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today. How many of us know that Christian life is all about change? It's all about being different. And I just wanna give you the tension that all of us are facing right now in the world today from what culture says about sexuality compared to what God says about sexuality. Culture says, listen to your feelings. Listen to your body. Listen to your urges. Listen to your cravings. That, that you gotta be true to yourself and give in to your body. And if you do, man, you experience life and true happiness. And God says, hold up. Up, that all, not all your feelings are worth following. Feelings are for feeling, but you got some wrong feelings that you don't want to follow. You got some cravings that you don't want to give into. You have some t tendencies that are not going to do you any good. They're going to do you harm. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Paul said in Colossians 3, don't set your mind on, the, on earthly things. Set your mind on the things above. Why? Because we think wrong. I got some wrong thinking going on in here. And Paul's saying, you can't set your mind on what culture says. It will lead you astray. The Bible says to put off your old self and your old ways of living and put on a new self. This, it's not necessarily fun. I know it's not that sexy. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. Who's in, right? Kill your flesh. 
kill that old man. But God is saying, no, no, if you'll follow this, this pattern, if you'll live up to my standard, you're gonna experience a life and a life more abundantly and then you can either think, ask, or even imagine. That's the tension we're dealing with today. So let's just dive into it. You want to? Starting with what Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter one, backing up to chapter one of the book of Romans and verse 21 through 25. Paul says this, says, yes, they knew God. In other words, there was an entire generation that claimed to know God, to follow God. But, everybody say but. But they wouldn't worship him as God or give, even give him thanks. How many know this is a problem? And just so we're all on the same page today, worshiping God is so much more than just singing some songs in church. Worship is a heart posture that we take before God, that we take towards him. Worship means that we bow before the king, we bow and we say, not my will, but your will be done. This is the true act of worship. God, you have a standard, you're God and I'm not, and because you're God, because you're higher than me, I'm gonna bow my heart before heaven and I'm gonna do things your way. Even if I don't fully understand, even if I don't fully agree, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't feel good, I'm gonna follow your ways. How many of that's worship? Amen. Goes on to say, you're clapping, keep clapping because you know, I just need you to, hope you're clapping in five minutes from now. And he says, and they began to think up, what did they do? Because they wouldn't worship God or even thank him as God or even you know, put him in that place as God, what happened? They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. So then their view of who God was got skewed. This is happening in our culture right now. There's a redefining of who God is, which completely goes against what the Bible says. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Let me just say, say this, this happens every single time we do things our way instead of God's way. We end up confused and in dark places. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. All of a sudden, deception creeped in. And you know the scary thing about deception? Is you don't even know what's happening. They're claiming to be wise but instead they're utter fools. Maybe you've heard this in culture today, using terms like progressive. Like we just discovered new information, there's a new way, and we're gonna advance this old, archaic thing called the Bible. No, we're not, church. No, we're not. How many know God doesn't need our help? God doesn't need our new ideas. It's time to get back to the old time religion. Get back to the ancient past. God doesn't need our help. And so what's gonna happen as they do this, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. This is happening in culture right now. You're seeing it yourselves. From drag queens in libraries with little kids to allowing kids to take hormone blockers in an attempt to transition their gender. Things 20 years ago we would have said, no way. And now it's becoming common. It's becoming common in our culture, and we better be careful because what Paul tells us is, what did they end up doing? They ended up trading the truth about God for a lie. So I just wanna expose some lies today, but before I do, I do wanna begin with the truth, and the truth is God created us. 
He knit us together in our mother's womb. God created our bodies, and how many of us know God created sex? And by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about sex. I mean, you take Proverbs chapter five alone, it says, to enjoy the wife of your youth, may her breast satisfy you always. Then it goes on to say, may you be ever captivated by her love. And the Hebrew word for the word captivated is the Hebrew word bow chicken wow wow. <laughs> I'm just teasing, no it's not. <laughs> but that, that word literally means, the word captivated literally means to be intoxicated by her love, to be under the influence. That this is how God describes sex and intimacy and relationships. And so when the enemy of our soul tries to come along and tell us that if we follow God's way, we're gonna miss out, that if we follow God's way, we're, we're, we're gonna, it's not gonna be any fun, it's gonna be boring, we just need to know that is a flat out lie. Take it from somebody who went the world's way and now I'm doing things God's way and just so you know, listen up teenagers, it's not even close. It is not even close in comparison to the fulfillment and the beauty and the meaning by doing things God's way. And so it's important for us to understand that God created us. And because he created us, he knows what's best for us. And God's intention is not to destroy our lives. How many of us know he wants us to enjoy our lives? I mean, I learned this even as a father, like one of the things that just blesses my heart so much is seeing my kids enjoy life. Seeing my kids, man, be blessed and smile and, and have, I mean, that just makes my heart as a father so glad. And I'm just thinking, man, if I feel that way about my kids, I wonder how God the Father feels about his kids when they're in, he wants us to enjoy life. His plan is not to destroy it, it's for us to enjoy it. But God does say that sex is exclusively reserved between one man and one woman in marriage. That's God's standard. And now some might say, but I have feelings and I have desires and I have tendencies and cravings that, that go against God's standard. Another way we could say it is, what if somebody else has a different predisposition? And I would argue that we all have feelings. We all have cravings. We all have tendencies. We all have desires that go against what the Bible says. We all have a predisposition to something that is contrary to Scripture. That's the struggle every single one of us are in. Like whenever I read the Bible and it tells me to forgive that person who doesn't deserve it, or it tells me to pray for that person who's persecuting me, it's almost like, how dare you, Bible? Right? Like, what do you mean? How many, that goes against my tendencies, my desires, my feelings. That goes against everything that I wanna do in that moment. But God's not telling me to forgive that person who does not deserve it and isn't even asking for it. He's not telling me to forgive that person so just to let them off the hook. He's telling me to forgive that person so that I can have peace in my heart. I can have peace in my mind. I can have peace in my soul. Why? Because God knows what's best for us. And I know there's a lot of debate in, in this culture today, but, but God's calling us to live by a higher standard because God's way is better. Let's go on to, to read this next passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-5. through five. He says, Paul's speaking here again. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Other versions of the Bible use the word holy there. 
And just so we're all on the same page, the word holy doesn't mean that we float around on little clouds and we do everything right. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. The word holy means to be set apart. In other words, God's saying, I've, I've called you, I've chosen you, I've empowered you, and our response to, to, to living a holy life would be to make the decision to agree with God. And how many of us know all of us can make that decision? We can all make a decision to say, God, your way is right. I agree with you. It is God's will that you should be sanctified or holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, it's important for us to study these two words out because in our English language, we have two words, sexual immorality. But in the original Greek language, it's just one word. It's the Greek word pornea. This is where we actually get our, our English uh, word pornography from. And by the way, pornea doesn't just mean pictures, pictures or images of, of naked people. The word pornea literally means any sexual act outside of one man, one woman in marriage. That each of you should avoid those things. And then each of you goes on to say, should learn to control your own body. Which means that there are times when our body doesn't want to do what God has called us to do. Anybody else discover that to be true? And what culture is telling us, no, 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 listen to your body. That's how you're gonna be happy. Be true to yourself. You can trust your feelings. You can trust your cravings. You can trust your desires. And the Bible's saying, no, you can't. No, no, we can't. The Bible's saying, don't trust it, control it. Don't trust your feelings, control your feelings. Don't trust your body, control your body. In a way, how? In a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, which we all have, by the way. We all have these, these desires to be pulled away and let our bodies lead, to let our cravings and our tendencies and our desires to lead. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not God's plan. Like, how's that? Not in passionate lust, like the pagans, like people who do not have a relationship with God. They don't know the truth of God. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy, set-apart, called life. Now that's truth. And the truth hasn't changed because God hasn't changed. Now I do want to take a moment, though, to address just some of the lies that culture is, is telling us today. Now there's a lot of them, so we could take the next eight hours to talk about them. But I just want to talk about four lies that culture is telling us about sex. If you're taking notes, the first lie the world is, is telling us is that sex is an animalistic action. In other words, we're all animals. We all have these, these desires, and we, we can't control them. There's nothing that we can do about it. We even have a phrase uh, uh, that we use for the sex talk. Right, we, we call it the birds and the bees, right? And, and this lie is basically saying that you're just like all the other creatures, that whenever you're in heat, you have no choice, you have no control, you just have to give in. And I'm just saying, that's a lie. I'm saying that's not true. Any hunters in the house? Anybody like to hunt a little bit? If, you, if you're a hunter, then, then you know that how smart and how intelligent the white-tailed buck is. 
Like if you've ever sat in a tree stand, like it's something else because you'll be sitting in this tree stand for hours on end and these young little fawns will just come bouncing out into the open field, just young and dumb and clueless that there's a gun pointed at them, right? But you can't shoot them. Right, so they just run around. Even the does, the moms come, come out. They're a little more hesitant, but they still run out in the open field that's just kind of clueless to, to the fact that I, I'm in deer pee and I'm in, in a tree stand. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but the white-tailed buck, you ever watch this, hunters? He just comes to the edge of the field. He doesn't just run out into the open. No, he comes to the edge of the field and he's just looking around. It's almost like he knows you're there. It's like, how does he know? I've been here for hours Right? How does he know? He's just looking around and he'll, he'll even go down and get some, get some grass and come up. It's like this, he's like, he just knows something ain't right about this situation. So I just, I don't know what it is, but something ain't right. And, and, and he rarely comes out of, into the open. Every once in a while he does, but it's rare. Until the rut. When the does are in heat, and it's in that moment, there's only one thing and one thing alone on his mind. Where's she at? Where's she at? Where's she at, right? And he comes running out into the field, and at that moment, bam, Hunter got his buck, right? He be, and it's in the rut, he, become, he goes from this, one of the smartest creatures to one of the dumbest creatures, right? And, and the world is trying to tell us that we're no different. And I'm saying that's a lie. And the moral of that story is that if we follow the world's way, the enemy will steal, kill, and destroy our lives. Another lie that, that culture is telling us about sex is that sex is innocent fun. We have to understand that God designed sex to be a, a deeper than just this, this physical act between two people. That an actual bond takes place. And, and some of us, we know the effects of bonding with people and bonding with images that we were never intended to bond with. And the truth is, it hollows out our souls. The truth is, it calluses our hearts. And the more we do it, the more empty we feel on the inside. Because we thought, man, it was just some innocent fun. It didn't really matter, but it absolutely does matter. It's not innocent fun, which leads me to another lie that, that culture tries to tell us, and that is that sex is an isolated event. That it's just for that moment, and once we're done, we can walk away from it. In fact, even culture spends marketing dollars to tell us this lie. We've all heard the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It comes home with you. It becomes part of your soul. I've been in ministry for over two decades now, and I've talked to so many people who have maybe gone through some horrific events. Maybe they were abused or raped or, or hurt by someone, or, or maybe they opened the door to years of, of just struggling with pornography. And what's interesting is that, that talking to these people that have been through such horrific um, things that even if it happened 20 or 30 years ago, I can talk to them and they will describe it like it happened yesterday. Why? Because it's not an isolated event. It comes with you. Guys that have been struggling with pornography for two or three decades, I'll talk to them and they can go back to the very first time they were exposed to pornography and they can recall those images and they can recall those feelings like it happened yesterday. Why? Because it's not an isolated event. God created it to be so much deeper than that. 
The good news is that we can be healed in Jesus' name. The good news is that there's freedom and healing in the name of Jesus, that, that Jesus has this innate ability to turn our wounds into scars. In other words, I remember what happened, but that thing no longer hurts me anymore. And then that leads me to the fourth lie that, that culture is, is trying to tell us today, and that is sex is who I am. This is a newer lie that, that culture is, is telling us that, that sex is who we are. And so now we have an entire generation of people who are identifying themselves by their sexuality. Can I just say, you are so much more than your sexuality? There is so much more to you than your sexual identity, your sexuality. And so now we have gay or straight or heterosexual or homosexual, or binary or non-binary. Can I just say we should never label ourselves by what we do? And we are not our attractions. And so the whole concept of my sexuality, it's not even biblical to identify under my sexuality. I mean, that's not who I am. That's not who we are. Come on, I'm a son of God. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been bought with a price. I'm, I'm a king's kid, right? I belong to God. He created me and he knit me together in my mother's room. I'm a child of the king, right? I belong to God. And then I've entered into a covenant relationship with my wife, Justina. And so I belong to her. So I'm not heterosexual or homosexual. I'm Justina sexual. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right? You get it? Does that make sense? Because real love isn't a feeling. It's a commitment to another person. It's a covenant relationship that we make in the eyes of God. Now, now if you're not a follower of Jesus or, or a Christian, then, then you might be thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And that's because you have the belief that you belong to you. And if you think that, and culture is telling you that, that we can just do whatever we want, if that's the case, then you are your own God. You, you are leading your own life, and if you want to try that, let's see how good you are at being your own God. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I decided years ago, after doing things my own way, that my own way wasn't working, and I decided years ago I belong to God, and my body belongs to God. And by the way, I know I've said it, but God created sex. He did not go to the Garden of Eden and he's walking around and looked over, Adam, Adam, Eve, what are you two doing? What are y'all doing? He wasn't shocked, right? No, what did God say? He told them to, to be fruitful and multiply, to which I respond, praise the Lord. Right? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And so for the rest of our time together today, I want to study a, a passage of scripture where the apostle Paul writes a letter to an entire generation that had no idea what real sexuality was all about. They had no idea what God's view or God's standard was of sexuality because at that time the Bible did not exist. And and so Paul, uh, just a little background history on him, God had called Paul to take the gospel of Jesus Christ out of Israel uh, and, and to take it to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, places like Italy and Rome and Greece, which would be modern-day Turkey. Now, just so you know, the, the Romans and, and the Greeks, man, they had all kinds of false gods, little g gods. I mean, just a couple that they would worship was, was Venus and, and Diana, and these were sexual gods. 
So it was very common for, for these people to go into their temples and worship all of their false gods. And in the temple, there was prostitutes. And so part of their worship would be to enter into temple prostitution. So it was a very perverted culture. And all of a sudden, Paul is planting churches in this modern-day Turkey region. People are getting saved, but they have no idea what God's standard or view of sexuality is. And so Paul writes them a letter to, to teach them and to help them do things God's way. And so let's take a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. Paul says, do you not know? Which they would have responded no, no, we don't know. We, we, don't, we have no idea. This is all new to us. Paul, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Pause there. What Paul is saying is God is not in the room that you walked into today. God is in you. Have you ever met someone who um, acts differently in church than they do outside of church? Point at them right now. I want to know who they are. I'm just joking. You know, as a pastor, I'll be, I'll be you know, hanging out with people, and, and so, there's been times where I'll be hanging out with some guys, and they're, they're just cussing, and they're just you know, talking all crazy, and they, and they don't know who I am. They don't know what I do, which I kind of like it like that uh, because of this very reason. Because then I go, well, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And immediately, like, oh, I'm sorry, pastor. I mean. And they just change. I'm, and I always like, don't, don't change for me. I'm just a guy. Right? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. The building's not different. God's presence lives in you. God's everywhere. God, God's with you in public and God's with you in private. And he's giving them this new concept. Don't just act one way in church and act differently outside of church. Don't act one way in the temple and different when you're outside the temple. Because God, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you, which would have changed their entire perspective. He goes on to say, shall I then take the members of Christ, our bodies, shall I take, shall I then take our bodies and unite? And, and the word in the Greek means to fuse together at the deepest level because sex isn't just innocent fun or an isolated event. So shall I unite them with a prostitute? Paul says, never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And it's at this moment that Paul is referring to Genesis chapter two when God said the two shall become one flesh. And God's not just talking about physically becoming one. He's talking about becoming one in soul and in spirit. For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 don't go around and have sex with multiple partners. Instead, unite yourself, be fused together in your soul and in your spirit with God. Follow his way. And then Paul starts to give them some advice on how to do this in the next few verses. And he tells them, at first, you're not going to feel like doing it. At first, it might not all make sense to you, but choices lead feelings follow. And so the first thing he tells them to do in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is to flee from sexual immorality. In other words, Paul goes, run, run, just get out of there. Like Joseph, right? And Potiphar's wife, just run, get out of there. And, and, and just so we know, he's saying, he's saying, agree with God, even though your feelings might say one thing, flee pornea, flee everything outside of God's standard of one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Get out, run from it. 
And then he says this. I want us to see this today. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. This is important. It's not that one sin is worse than the other because they all separate us. Sin separates us from God. But here Paul is putting sexual sin in a different category. He's saying all the other sin you do is outside the body, but sexual sin does something on the inside of you. It does something on the, the deepest parts of who we are. And he says, whoever sins sexually, we're not making God mad, we're hurting ourselves. Sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, don't follow your feelings, don't follow, follow culture, honor God with your bodies. In other words, our bodies belong to God. When we understand this, we understand this, this beautiful thing that God always intended for our lives. What we discover is God's way is better. God knew what he was talking about the whole time. Have you, have you ever come to discover this, where God told you to do something and you didn't do it, and, and you felt, paid the consequences for it, and then you did do it, and you felt the benefits of following God's way, and you're like, dang, God was right again. I have this joke with my, my, my kids. I'm like, God's right. And then, and then what did I tell you? Yep, they're right. Told you, God, who would have thunk it? God is right again. He's batting a thousand. Anybody? He's batting a thousand. Now, now let me just say this. this. This is something that we all face. This is a struggle we all deal with. None of us have done it perfectly. None of us are batting a thousand. We're all on a journey. Everybody say journey. We're all on a journey, and my heart and my hope is to help each and every one of us do our best to do things God's way. Why? Because God's way is better. Now, I do want to take a moment and just say something right here. That for those who have maybe um, experienced pain or abuse or rape or somebody did something to you that was out of your control, I want you to know I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm sorry you faced that. I sat with a guy in my office just this past week who is, who's been battling shame for two or three decades. And I just wept Sorry, I'm sorry you, your life was impacted that way. You know, I have a past, as many of you know, and there's some things I wish I could go back and undo. And I'm sorry for the way that your life was impacted. And I would just say, as your pastor, not only am I I'm sorry, but I'm also reminded of the words of the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter three. He said, man, all, all I could think about was my past and all the pain and all the dysfunction, and all the hurt, and all the shame, the bitterness, and the gall. Anybody ever felt like that when you look at what you've been through? Some things that have been done to you, and where you've been in your past? Man, I just see pain, and I see problems, and I see hurt, and I see shame. But I love how Jeremiah, he says, I look at my past, and I see all these, those things, but I'm not gonna stay in that place. I'm not just gonna stay in that place looking back at where I've been. And he goes on to say, Praise God that his mercies are new every morning. And then he declares this thing over his life. He says, great is thy faithfulness. 
one of my favorite hymns, right? Because there's so much power in it. Because Jeremiah is remembering God's mercy is new every single morning. Nobody loves me the way God loves me. Nobody believes in in me the way God believes in me. Nobody stands beside me through the thick and thin moments of life like my God does. His mercy is new every morning. And then I'm going to declare to my, great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, God, for who you, thank you for, thank you for how you love me, and you haven't left me or, or forsaken me, and I love the fact that how God not only forgives us, how I many he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He takes away our shame. He takes away our guilt, and he has this innate ability to make all things new again. He can heal our hearts. We can't change the past, but we can walk in a new future. I'm going to close today, but by just giving us some, some responses that we can have to, to God's standard of sexuality. And maybe for some of us, we've opened doors we wish we would have opened. We've, we've done things we wish we wouldn't have done. And culture is trying to tell us to, to follow our feelings and do the opposite of what God says. And so let me just give us three, three uh, responses that we can have to, to God's view and standard of sexuality. If you're taking notes, the first response we can have is number one is that we can be defensive. We can say, I don't agree. I think God's wrong. And my response to that would be, well, but that's okay. You can go and live your own way. But if you decide that when you get out there and you do your own thing, that it's not going the way you had hoped it was gonna go and you're not getting what you were hoping you were gonna get, I just want you to know you are welcome in this place that we love you in this place. That we all got our own past. We got our own stories. And just as, as the prodigal son's father in Luke chapter 15, whose his son had went off and did his own thing and lived his own way, didn't follow God's way, he found himself in a pig pen and he came to his senses and realized, man, I gotta get back to my father's house. The Bible tells us that as the the father sees his son off in the distance, he didn't wait for his son to get to him. No, he went running after him with arms wide open. And I'm just saying we're gonna be a church that has arms wide open for you. That we, we believe in you and God's got a plan for your life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 does tell us, so there's a way that appears to be right. Isn't this the, the, the tension? It looks good. This is a great um, depiction of sin. It looks like it's gonna give me what I'm wanting. It looks like it's right, it's gonna be fun. But how many of us know that sin overpromises and underdelivers every single time? Every time. And it always takes us farther than, than we wanna go and keeps us longer than we wanna stay. It appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. This isn't just talking about physical death, but emotional death, relational death. And if that happens, if you experience that, I just want you to know you are welcome in this place. But understand, if we're making this choice that is different from God's standard and God's view, we're choosing to be our own God. But I would encourage, I would plead, I would say take it from someone who tried it. It didn't work. I would encourage you and plead with you that, that God's way isn't just right, it's better. Come on, God's way isn't just right. It's not just the right thing to do. It's the better thing to do. The second response that we can have towards God's standard of sexuality is number two is we can be remorseful. And some of us might say, man, what we've done is 
I know it's wrong. I keep going back to it. Maybe some of us might say, I can't believe I've done some of the things that I've done. And there's so much shame that we're carrying around, so much guilt. I think this is the one thing about sexual sin that it just brings so much shame and guilt with it. And we can feel like, man, I'm just never gonna get over this. I'm never gonna be able to move past this. This is, this is always gonna be a part of my life. And we can start to lose hope. I wanna remind us of Romans chapter eight, verse one tells us, says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we mess up, God's response is that you did it again. When are you gonna get it right? When are you gonna wake up? When are you gonna finally listen? I mean, that's not how God responds to us. He says, no, I get it. And I made a way. What a great response. In our hopelessness, in our sin, in our pain, God comes along and says, no, I made a way. There's a way out of this. I already, I knew it was gonna happen. I already made a way. Come on, grab my hand, let's go. Let's go, let's go. There's a way out there where you can be forgiven and you can be set free. And we're gonna remind us, there's no condemnation. Condemnation is from the enemy and says, that was wrong and there's no hope. There's no way out of it. You're stuck. You're at a dead end. There's nothing you can do. But convictions from the Holy Spirit and conviction says that was wrong and here's the way out. Come on. We're going to new territory. We're going to new life. We're leaving old things behind. We're experiencing a new life in Jesus. And so finally, the third response that we can have to God's standard of sexuality is number three is we can be repentant. And I would recommend for this to be all of our response, not just in the area of sexuality, but in every area that we fall short. The word repent means to have a change in our thinking, to have a change in my mind. Like I see it differently, like wait a minute. There's a change in our perspective and all of a sudden we see it differently and as a result, there's a change in our behavior. Today, my, my hope is that we would understand how God loves us and believes in us and has a plan for us, that we would understand that God's way isn't just right, it's better. Well, he's, what I love about God is he doesn't call us out, he calls us up. I got more for you, come on, I got more for you. There's more to this life than what you're living. Do you want it? And in my, our response just needs to, here we are, God. We want all that you have for us. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the standard. We thank you for how you bring hope to the hopeless and freedom to the captive. Father, we just come right now in your presence. But we thank you that it's in your presence there's the fullness of joy. In your presence, hope is found. There's freedom in your presence. There's life in your presence. There's forgiveness in your presence. And right now in this place, I've got to lift up every single person who's maybe walked through a difficulty, a struggle, a pain, a wound, who's experienced abuse, who's been taken advantage of, God, I pray right now that you would bring healing, healing to our hearts and healing to our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do what only you can do in this moment. We know the Bible tells us that by his stripes, we are healed. That our King, our Savior, went through the most horrific, brutal beatdown so that we could be healed. God, I pray you would bring healing in this place today healing to our hearts. 
that you would cause our wounds to become scars and that you would make all things new again. That's only you can do. As we continue praying together today, maybe you would say that as we talk about being a follower of Jesus, that you know about God, but you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you've come to church, but you've never said, God, here's my life, here's my heart. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna follow you, here's my heart. You can make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Or maybe you walked with God at one point in time and you've drifted and you're coming back home. Maybe there's some prodigal sons and daughters back in the house today. I wanna to give you an opportunity to come before your king and say, here's my heart, what you've always wanted. Here's my life. And if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you need to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, would you lift your hand to heaven? God, we thank you for how you love us. We thank you for how you believe in us. We thank you that you have a, a plan and a purpose for our lives. And right where you're at, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Here's my heart, God. Here's my life. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.